I have a guest with me today who I've known for quite a while. He's a, a fellow sergeant. He's a fellow police trainer. And he's involved now in an organization called CLEAT, which he's going to explain. And he's going to talk about the positive things that his organization is doing for police officers in Texas. And he's also going to talk about some of the things that are happening in Texas that really affects law enforcement nationwide. Chris Jones, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Betsy. Good to see you today. So, Chris, um, you know, you retired after a really long and fascinating career in, uh, in law enforcement with the Houston Police Department, and you became involved with an organization called CLEAT. What does CLEAT stand for? CLEAT is the uh, Combined Law Enforcement Associations of Texas, and in, in effect, they are, quote, union. Uh, you know, some people take that with a negative connotation, but we, we basically advocate for law enforcement officers. And we, most importantly, we provide legal defense for our members in the event that they're involved in either a critical incident or an officer involved shooting, in custody death, or any other internal investigation related to their department. Chris, how many uh, officer involved shootings or critical incidents did the CLEAT lawyers respond to last year? There was over 100. We've already responded to over 48 this year. Uh, we, we represent approximately 26,000 members, uh, Texas peace officers, correctional officers, and detention officers in Texas. Uh, we uh, we uh, represent the majority of the larger uh, departments in Texas, but also uh, have hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of members in small departments spread out across Texas. Now, Chris, Cleet recently made national news because uh, you guys discovered in Travis County that their district attorney, their civil rights division, was looking for uh, an attorney or attorneys to hire specifically to do something that seems pretty untoward. Can you talk about that? Well, it, it actually goes back a little farther than that. We, we have a new district attorney uh, in Travis County uh, that came in this last year after the last election cycle. And he was uh, one of these folks that were backed by uh, money, outside money, uh, progressive uh, DA, who uh, has an agenda to, to go out and prosecute uh, law enforcement officers uh, based on the, uh, the activists that we have seen through Black Lives Matter movement, Antifa, and some of the other groups that are out there. Uh, we have some, some local groups in Austin that are right in the middle of that, um, that issue. Uh, in fact, this DA, uh, has gone back and reviewed cases that have been closed over the last uh, few years and has come back and opened those cases again and, and filed charges against uh, officers. I'll give you one example that is, is really kind of uh, amazing. Uh, we have a uh, former CLEAT member or, or a current CLEAT member who was with the Texas Department of Public Safety a DPS trooper here in, in Texas who was involved in a case here in Austin. Uh, that case was cleared. The trooper applied to become 
uh, an FBI agent. And the FBI looked at the case and looked at his background and hired him as an FBI agent. He is a current FBI agent and this new DA has come in and filed charges and is prosecuting uh, this FBI agent for that closed case from several years ago. And we are having to represent him. So here's the thing I want people to understand is that um, your district attorney in Travis County is very much like the uh, DA or the state's attorney um, in, uh, we have George Gascon in uh, Los Angeles County. We have Kim Fox in Cook County, Illinois, Chicago. We have uh, all these progressive, very often uh, George Soros or other uh, outside money backed uh, district attorneys and state's attorneys who are doing two very dangerous things. One is they are, um, they are pro-criminal and they are anti-incarceration and they are also pro-prosecute cops for uh, use of force cases that very often the officer's already been cleared or the officer was doing exactly the right thing and yet the DA's office is, is going going after them. So yes, that's guys, correct. And, go and ahead. that gets us and that gets us to the uh, the issue at hand that you uh, asked me about, which was the the head of the Travis County DA's civil rights division uh, went out onto social media and sent emails and made public postings uh, looking for a new prosecutor. Uh, to specifically be hired uh, to prosecute cops. And the whole tenet and tone of the, the messaging was that we're not looking for somebody that's a good prosecutor. We are looking for somebody that's specifically biased toward prosecuting law enforcement. And, and, and that sent a very bad message that, that you are going out of your way you're not looking at the facts. You're wanting. You're on a political agenda for, to prosecute cops. And you know, here's the thing that I want people to understand is Travis County is Austin, right? And it's one of the largest counties in Texas. And uh, and the Austin Police Department already has. And we're going to talk more about this. Is already in a battle with you know their city leadership city council um, and they're being defunded, they're, they, you know, and because I think a lot of people look at Texas and think, wow, Texas is such a back the blue state. And yet there's a lot of areas of Texas that that have fallen victim to uh, this anti-police movement, this defund the police movement. Is that correct? Yes, there's, that's, that's, that's correct. There is a there is a huge contingent of these types of activists that are, are based out of uh, uh, Austin. A uh, couple of groups come to mind. Uh, one is called Austin Justice Coalition and another is called Just Liberty. They are specifically uh, on a mission uh, against law enforcement. Uh, they have uh, basically hijacked the, uh, the Austin City Council through um, months and months of protests and activism and shaming, political shaming of these politicians to where the Austin City Council uh, just flat out stopped cadet classes, shifted a whole ton of money. And I don't know all the specifics off the top of my head, but they, 
the bottom line is, is they, they took millions of dollars out of the police budget and shifted it to other funding uh, needs in, within the city budget. And it has had a dramatic effect on crime in Austin and safety and morale in the police department because of these decisions. Well, sure, Austin used to be one of the uh, safest cities in America. And uh, now I know their crime is, their violent crime is rising and they've had to disband many of their specialty units. And, and the thing about Austin, it's also a big tourist town. And so many of their specialty units were dealing with the tourists. You know, they had a motorcycle unit, a mounted patrol unit and things like that. Um, so a, a lot of the things that these activist groups call for, like more training, uh, more community policing are going away because they're being defunded, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Just just uh, over the last month or so, they have, they have uh, stopped or have initiated a process to stop uh, the DWI task force, the uh, motorcycle unit, the traffic enforcement unit. Uh, they, uh, they are absolutely, uh, they, they've hired a civilian outsider to administer the police department, and they have now changed the whole, they have re-imaged, reimagined the police department's academy. Uh, the students don't wear uniforms, they come in suits, and it's a, it's a complete, uh, civilian instructors, it's completely uh, gonna, gonna affect, uh, I think in the long run, uh, what we do uh, to protect the community because the whole mind shift is going to uh, take away from that attitude of running toward danger and, and putting your life on the line to protect uh, the public that I've done for 31 years in Houston. Uh, and, and so, and just, and, and we've seen it in just things that have gone on just this last weekend, we have a big uh, tourist uh, party area called Sixth Street in downtown Austin. And there was a shooting over the weekend where 13 or 14 uh, people were shot. And, and what, they, what they didn't, you know, what you didn't see in the mainstream uh, was some of the videos that you can see now out there of, of officers running into danger and then running, carrying people out to the ambulances you know, putting their lives on the line to, to protect the people that were shot in these situations. And those are the heroes that we have working every day in Texas, but, but the narrative has, has been hijacked and the perception that the public is getting has been hijacked. And, and that's what we went through in this battle in the Texas legislature this session. So talk about what Cleet is doing um, about this, because you guys are very involved in the Texas legislature. And, uh, and your legislature um, is limited in their time, like most legislatures are supposed to be. Texas actually follows that. Um, you have limited time in the legislature. Um, talk about what Cleet is doing to make those changes in Texas that are not just pro-law enforcement, but they're pro-law-abiding citizen. So Texas has a legislature that meets once every two years for 140 days, January to June, basically in odd number of years. And, and we have been a steadfast advocate for our members at, during that legislative process uh, when the legislature's in session. Uh, we are on the ground with a lobby team uh, consisting of not only uh, uh, 
full-time staff, uh, but we have, we, we hire outside paid lobbyists as well, and also uh, bring in uh, some of our local leaders, uh, like the, the uh, departments, the bigger departments have ability to send people up to participate. And so we're on the ground uh, during the process, reading and evaluating, you know, thousands of bills. Uh, in the past, usually 10 to 20, 30, maybe reform-minded uh, anti-cop bills are filed. Uh, this session, after, after the George Floyd uh, incident and Breonna Taylor and some of the others that are floating around the, the country, which I have to say are isolated cases in the grand scheme of things. People, people tend to forget that there's 800,000 law enforcement officers in this country that are making millions and millions of police and civilian interactions every day. And in, in, in totality, only about 1,000 people are shot uh, by officers. And the 99% of those are justified use of force because they're either protecting themselves or a third person. Uh, we have under 50, usually every year, of unarmed police shootings. So the narrative has been hijacked by the activists to, to sell their agenda that cops are murderers, that we go out and we, we go out every day with the intent of, uh, of uh, uh, doing harm to the public, when in fact, 99% of the interactions are done professionally and perfectly, and the public is well served. Uh, what we have today that we didn't have 20 years ago is technology that allows you know, everything that we do now to be, to be videoed and put online. And so what the public sees is those one or two, three or four cases each year that are outliers that, that uh, shock the conscience. And, and it doesn't matter what legislation you pass or what you do, as long as law enforcement officers are human beings, they're gonna make mistakes. And, and the mistake is different than intentional conduct, but even you're going to have some officers that might make bad decisions. And, and those are the ones that are spread all over YouTube and put out all over the media. And the narrative is, is that when you see someone like, you know, the officer in the George Floyd case uh, on TV doing what he did, then the narrative is pushed by all of these activists that every cop in America is doing that. And it's absolutely false. And so we, that translates to, to politicians who serve in the legislature filing hundreds of bills to fix perceived problems that are not problems at all. Right. And so instead of addressing issues like training and, and God, I could go on all day about problems with training, it's the systemic racism in my opinion is not systemic. I mean, we have, we have come a long way in, hundreds of years of, of, of uh, how we deal with the public and how we hire and how the quality of people that we put on there and the education and training that the officers go through. Uh, there's gonna be some that slip, slip through the cracks. The problem is, is we learn through repetition. And so we have an in-service in training prop, a program here in Texas. It requires officers to get a minimum of 40 hours in service every two years, but that's, that's minimal. And, and the problem is officers don't learn by going into a classroom and watching paint dry for eight hours. Uh, so we don't have the interactive hands-on 
continuous training that we really need to, to train officers to be proficient in the ability to de-escalate, to, to communicate, to, to address uh, issues that we find are deficient. Uh, and, and that goes back to the problem that we've got officers working long hours because staffing, that's a systemic problem, staffing. Uh, officer fatigue is a systemic problem. When you're having to work officers 60, 80 hours a week, or they work for departments where they barely make minimum wage and they're having to work second jobs in order to feed their families, then fatigue is a systemic problem. Uh, so those are the systemic problems, training and, and, uh, and staffing and hiring and having enough people so that you can let people take off to go to training and then offering the right kinds of training. Uh, so we did have hundreds of bills uh, filed this session. Most, I'm happy to report, failed to, to make any progress. Uh, we as a union took a position that we had to be reasonable and we had to look at things that we could do better. And we did that. And, and because of that, we negotiated uh, four or five issues uh, that, that passed basically policy statements, uh, which would be uh, things that, that are in our statewide code of criminal procedure that would apply to our departments that, that already currently apply to many departments. Uh, check, uh, uh, prohibition on use of uh, chokeholds and neck restraints. Uh, the one thing we wanted to ensure is that the ability of the officer to still protect themselves in a deadly force situation, they could use any method to, to you know, protect their own life or protect someone else. And that bill, of course, outlaws chokeholds, but it can be used in the event that it's necessary to protect your own life. Uh, anything that, that attacked the Graham standard on objective reasonableness, uh, and I can go into that in a few minutes, uh, we, we had to maintain that standard and we were able to do that. Uh, we passed a bill on duty to render aid. Uh, and again, officers have to do that when somebody they encounter is injured, uh, but they, 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 there's an exception if they are in their you know, fear of their own life or they're not physically able to do it. Uh, so those are the kinds of things, those kinds of bills that, that did pass uh, were, were uh, highly negotiated by us and others. Chris, that was an excellent explanation of what's happening in Texas. Now, let me, let me ask you this. You, I know Cleet has a team of lawyers, and so your members can, and any officer in Texas who gets involved in an officer-involved shooting is probably going to want an attorney. Why is that? If you're a police officer who, who's been involved in a deadly force situation that's completely righteous, you did absolutely all the right things, why do you need a lawyer? Well, because, because when you are involved in a use of force situation, you have gone from the responder to being subject to a criminal investigation. Uh, the DA and the investigators are gonna look to make sure you didn't violate any laws when you use that force. And so we have a duty to protect our members and represent them uh, when that happens. You know, when, when officers involved in, in uh, uh, use of force, it's a highly stressful, a uh, highly emotional event. Uh, uh, basically, you know, the officer is not thinking, you know, correctly after that. There needs to be some time to recover. And so we want to make sure that the officer doesn't say anything that, that it, it's not about hiding anything. It's about 
making sure the facts are reported correctly. And, and so uh, the officers, we have a policy that our officer is on the scene within two hours after being called. Uh, we have an on-call attorney 24 seven. Uh, and so within minutes after you call our, our critical incident hotline, the on-call attorney is talking to the officer, giving them legal advice until the actual attorney gets to the scene. Wow. Last question, Chris. A lot of the defund and reimagine police movement, um, a lot of them talk about getting rid of qualified immunity. And I don't think people really understand what that is. Um, can you briefly explain why that's such a terrible idea, not just for law enforcement officers, but for the public who needs our protection? So qualified immunity is another issue that's been hijacked uh, and, and is, has not been correctly uh, explained in the media or anywhere else. Qualified immunity is not absolute immunity. It, it is not immunity for intentional acts such as civil rights violations that, that has been addressed in 42 USC 1983, a federal statute that officers get sued at, uh, sued under all the time about an intentional violation under color of law uh, that you intentionally violated somebody's civil rights. It's qualified immunity deals with mistakes. Because we're human beings, we go out there and we intend to act the right way. And our motives of pure, are pure to, to do something. I'll tell you, Sergeant Chris Jones, you have given us uh, so much to think about and you've explained some things uh, about what's happening in law enforcement, not just in Texas, but around the country. And we sure thank you for spending time with us today. This year, over 50,000 law enforcement officers have been assaulted while on duty. A vast number of these attacks were filmed and uploaded to social media in the pursuit of likes and attention. What they want to do is film you instead of like, what can I do to help this officer? Together, we can change this disturbing trend. If that individual would have hit the right spot, you know, it, it could have been it for me. You know, last time I would have saw my wife, my kids. I'm Mike Solon. Law enforcement officers need your support. If you see an officer under attack, then follow these simple steps in order to help. One, call 911 and give the officer's exact location. Two, ask the officer if you can assist. If the officer accepts, then do whatever you can do to safely help. Three. If the officer declines, then start filming and be a good witness. It's time to stop filming and start helping.